Good morning. Um, my name is Caitlin, and I am part of the Kingdom Vineyard staff team. Um, I do a mixture of pastoral work and administrative work, and generally just kind of help to make things um, happen, especially while our senior pastors are on sabbatical. Um, today, we are continuing our walk through the Gospel of Luke. And as Chris explained last week, we're basically doing three months of Advent before Advent. Um, so you should all be extremely ready for Christmas this year. <laughs> but that's actually the point. <laughs> so today, my passage is Mary's Song, um, or the Magnificat as it is known. Um, it's a passage that mostly gets rolled out at Christmas time, along with the rest of the first couple of chapters of Luke. This is our fifth week in Luke, and our fifth week in chapter one. It is an extraordinarily long chapter, so let's recap the story so far. We've seen Gabriel the angel um, visit Zechariah in the temple and announce to him that his wife, um, well beyond childbearing age and barren, would have a son, John. And he'd come before the Messiah. Um, Zechariah was in disbelief, and I don't really blame him. Uh, so he um, was made to be mute um, because he, of his unbelief until the birth. Elizabeth then fell pregnant. Gabriel then went off to visit Mary and announced to her that she would miraculously fall pregnant with the Messiah. Mary wasn't looking for assurance like Zechariah was, um, but she did wonder about the practicalities, considering she was a virgin. Gabriel told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and she was content with that answer and said, let it be to me according to your word. After that, word got to Mary about her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, so she traveled to visit. When Mary arrived, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and cried out with words that the Lord had given her. And this is where we are today. Mary's song is written into the narrative as her response to Elizabeth's outburst of blessing. So let's take a look at the passage. It is Luke 1, verses 46 to 56. Um, and my friend Naomi is going to come and read it for me. Great. Um, we'll be reading from the ESV translation. Okay. Um, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he, who is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our father, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. Thank you so much. Great. Okay, 
there is quite a bit packed into this song of praise um, to the point that N.T. Wright in his book, Look for Everyone, said Mary's song is like the gospel before the gospel because so much of the content, so many of the themes that appear here will see appear throughout the rest of Luke in Jesus's teaching. But today we're going to focus on the fact that it's a song that is a beautiful combination of personal praise and hope for the coming kingdom. We're going to take a look at it in two parts, looking first at Mary's personal praise and then moving on as she does to the bigger picture of the kingdom. So then, personal praise and thanksgiving, the first section of Mary's song. This bit is about Mary, it's about God and what he has done for her. I know we've spent some time over the past couple of weeks talking about the context Mary is in and her, her vulnerability but we're going to recap again because I think it makes Mary's response of praise so much more significant. Mary, as Jesse highlighted a couple of weeks ago, is very young. She is betrothed to be married to Joseph, which meant she was legally bound to marry him, but it hadn't actually happened yet. She was a virgin who miraculously fell pregnant, but to everyone else's eyes, she just looked pregnant and unmarried, and that would have been a complete scandal. Mary would have been disregarded in society. Women already had a kind of tougher time than we do today, but pregnant and unmarried Mary would have had it even worse. And as Chris said last week, in the midst of all of this, Mary goes to Elizabeth, leaves her home for a few months, and will return visibly pregnant. And her only explanation being that she has a miracle baby given to her by God. And we saw um, from Zechariah's story that even the priests were skeptical about that possibility. She may be holding the savior of the world in her womb, but the situation appears rather dire. Mary's response when Gabriel announced to her that she was the chosen one to carry the Messiah was, let it be to me according to your word. I think mine would have been along the lines of, please no, not me. And then here again, in the company of her cousin, a friend who blurts out to you, to her, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Surely then, maybe Mary would have been like, actually, hold up. I'm not sure I feel all that blessed, um, but no. Mary responds in praise and thanksgiving herself. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This isn't just like, God, you're, you're all right. It's with everything in me, to my deepest core, I rejoice in you, God. For you have looked on me, lowly as I am with favor, and all generations from now on will call me blessed, mighty and holy God. It's beautiful worship in the middle of a situation that is social suicide. And it is a perfect example of what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. 
give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is happening to Mary is both miraculous and wonderful and extremely hard. She's barely a teenager living in a hole in the wall who no one knew, who was just visited by an angel, and she's told that God favors her and has chosen her to be the vessel that brings into the world the one who brings salvation for the whole world. How absolutely incredible and how absolutely horrendous at the same time. And yet in the middle of that, Mary sets her eyes on God and praised him for his goodness. She rejoiced always, praised without ceasing, prayed without ceasing and gave thanks in all circumstances. Now we're not Mary, we don't have the same situation as she did, but I wonder if you have something that you know is a gift from God and it's good, but it's also extremely hard. I know that I do. If you've spoken to me about preaching at any point, you know that it's not something I find easy. And very few people see me at my lowest point on sermon week. And I know it might be hard to imagine when I get up here with some amount of confidence, um, but just a couple of days ago, I was really riddled by anxiety. I felt like I had nothing worth saying and was really stuck with writing. <laughs> Sorry. Normally it's Jim that I ask to come and help me. Um, but with him on sabbatical, I asked Jesse. Jesse sat and talked to me for a bit while I could hardly um, even speak, make eye contact, and was fighting tears um, really unsuccessfully. And he asked me, do you feel like this every time you write a sermon? And the answer is yes. Writing a sermon is a really, really painful process for me. But I also feel quite strongly that it's something I'm meant to do. It's something that God has asked me to do, and it's a gift that he's given me. It is good, and it is awful at the same time, and I'm not always very grateful for it. But Mary sets for us a beautiful example to follow, of worshipping God for who he is, what he is doing for us and in us, and doing that in the middle of whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. Good bad, good and bad at the same time. She chooses to sit in the tension and she chooses to worship God. She rejoices always, prays without ceasing and gives thanks in all circumstances. How do we think we're doing at praising God, at rejoicing in him in the middle of our own messy lives, in the good, in the bad, in the ugly? Do we remember to rejoice when everything is going well? I know that I've been guilty of going through a season of blessing and almost forgetting God in the middle of it. Do we remember to rejoice when things are hard, when they are really ugly? Or do we only go to God at that point with our list of things we want him to do for us? It's not wrong to ask God for what we want but we do so while neglecting to remember that he is worthy of praise for who he is. Then we turn our loving father into some kind of genie from Aladdin who is at our beck and call to grant our wishes. But he is so much more. 
I'm no stranger to the shopping list prayer from small things. God, a car parking space, please. Please let the bus be in time. God, please let Lucy have got to the office before me to put on the pot of coffee. And that one has a high success rate. (laughs) To the big things. God, please, can I have a job? God, can I have somewhere to live? God, can you heal my family member's cancer? But what I have noticed over the past few months and years is that when I come to God, not just with my list or not just because of my list, but because I want to spend time with him, the more I rejoice and praise God no matter what's going on, no matter what I think I need, the more I'm filled with his peace even when I don't have answers, the more I'm reminded of relationship and the less I treat him like my personal genie in a lamp the more I'm able to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. God is our Savior. He is mighty. He is holy. And he is merciful. He is worthy of praise. So let our souls magnify the Lord. Let our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. Mary doesn't stop there, though, praising God for what he is doing in her. Her song of praise moves on to a much bigger picture. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the pride in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This is a picture of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. The exaltation of the humble and the hungry being filled. Mary's song of praise turns from individual worship to big picture kingdom-focused hope. As I read and read and read this passage, I was really drawn to the certainty and the assurance of Mary's faith in God and his promises. And that led me to a little lesson in Greek grammar in my research. I've learned more about Greek grammar in the last few days than I have in my entire life. Um, But I promise I won't get too stuck in the weeds. Um, But if the weeds of grammar is your thing, then you can go and speak to Jesse, our resident Greek grammar geek. It appears that there is quite a bit of discussion around the tense that this section of Mary's song is written in in the original language and what that means for our interpretation. We read this in our Bibles as past tense. He has shown strength. He has scattered the pride. In the Greek, it's called the aorist. Is that right? I had to run and ask Jesse a minute ago just before starting to ask how to pronounce it. Aorist. It's not just as simple as a past tense, a one-time finished action. It can be a continual state or something habitual, and it can be prophetic. After reading around a bit, I have come to the conclusion that I believe these to be prophetic aorists. And what that means is these events are future. They aren't our lived reality yet but they are seen as so certain that even though they are future events, they can be portrayed as past realities. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped to serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. These are future events that are seen as so certain that they can be portrayed as past realities. Mary is so confident that these things will be true that she speaks as if they have already happened. And it got me wondering, maybe the reason that Mary was able to praise God in the middle of her less than desirable circumstances was because she had confidence and hope that God would keep his covenant promises to her and all her people. I felt challenged by this. It made me ask the question, do I have that same confidence? Because honestly, when I look around and I see the rising cost of living, when I see the number of bags of food that we're giving out at Storehouse at the moment, our food bank, just skyrocketing, it can be really hard to have faith to see the day where there will be no hunger. But he's the same God now as he was then. And my confidence and my hope in God cannot solely be based on what I see around me. Mary's surely wasn't. But it's in who he is and what he says. And our God is a God who is true to his word and a God who keeps his promises. Psalm 145, 13 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And in Hebrews, it says that God also found himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. We, like Mary, can have great confidence because God is unchanging. He cannot lie. He keeps his promises. And so we can hold to the hope that lies before us, the hope of the kingdom to come. And not only does Mary have confidence that God will make this happen, but she recognizes that she has a part to play. Mary's role in life, her calling, is to be part of bringing in this kingdom. And we have that same calling. It's not going to look like birthing the Messiah, you'll be pleased to know. Um, but when Jesus came and started his ministry, he brought in the kingdom the very kingdom we see in Mary's song. The hungry were fed, people were miraculously healed, people were reconciled to God, and we're invited to join with Jesus in continuing this work, continuing to bring in his kingdom. God promises us a day where there will be no death or mourning, crying or pain, but because Jesus began to bring in God's kingdom in his ministry, we aren't just sitting ducks waiting for the day he comes back to make it all happen in all its fullness. We are called to actively partner with Jesus and usher in the kingdom of God here and now, to share his good news with those around us, to look for the one who is forgotten about and to help feed those who are hungry. 
So let us hold tight to God's words, to his promises of a new creation, a new life. But let's also recognize that we too have a part to play. We can have the same confidence and hope in God that Mary had, because God is the same now as he was then, a God of his word and a God of his promises. So Mary's song, a beautiful combination of personal praise in all circumstances and an inspiring confidence and hope for the coming kingdom. We could do a lot worse than to follow Mary's example. Despite our circumstances, personal, national, global, good, bad or ugly and everything in between, we can worship God because he is worthy He will bring in his kingdom, and he is bringing in his kingdom. We can be confident and have hope for the day when all his promises will come to pass. Why don't you stand with me, and I will pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are good, that you are worthy of praise because of who you are. Thank you for all the gifts that you give and for the work that you are doing. God, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to just lay down all of our burdens, to lay down at your feet all of our circumstances and mess so that we can come and worship and rejoice in you now. Do you come and fill us afresh? Amen.